Photography has evolved from being a way of documenting the world to a way of communicating. I would say there's always been too many photographs in the world, but there's never too many good ones. The way you photograph something and the way you light something should be as beautiful as you can make it. Business, creative, kit and careers. Find out about the world's leading photographers and filmmakers in Shutter Stories. Welcome to Shutter Stories. Today we're talking to Canon Ambassador Mashid Mahadran, an Iranian-born visual artist whose work focuses on migration, identity and gender-based issues, usually through the lens of portrait photography. She'll be talking us through what draws her to a story, her motivations and what we can expect to see next. Hi Mashid, how are you today? Hi Emma, <laughs> nice to talk to you. So where are you today? I'm in Antwerp, Belgium. So are you in lockdown? It's not really, really lockdown like some, some other places like Spain or Italy. Uh, I hear my friends don't even are not even allowed to go out for a walk, but everything is closed. I was going to start by asking you um, how you label yourself. So like, you know, mm-hmm. photojournalist, visual artist, photographer, do you have any preferences? Well, I guess I, I'm fine with all of them and combining all of them, but I, I guess I prefer visual artist because it's sort of, it is a combination of all of these things. And and I use, obviously, photography as my medium, but I don't really see myself purely as a photographer. So when did you first realize that you wanted to use stills? Well, actually, I was already painting and drawing from a very young age. I really started getting tired of being locked up in the studio and not really um, being part of the world. And I had this photography class in the last year of my of art school. And um, it really encouraged me to go into photography. I, I loved spending time in the dark room and, you know, like being outside creating the work. I basically switched over to photography then. So really that social aspect was quite important for you. Yeah, I think I, I was I was always quite shy and reserved and um, it was difficult for me to communicate with the outside world. And I think photography gave me more of a, a confidence to be at, at certain places and be part of certain events and happenings. So that was for me. It's like because you had the camera in your hand, you had a purpose for being there. Exactly. I didn't have to like necessarily socialize with anyone because I was, you know, I, I had this thing that I was doing. And at the same time, I was sort of interpreting my surroundings, which was what you do within painting and drawing as well, except that you're just doing it right there. So how old were you when you started started with photography? I think when I graduated from high school, so I must have been 18 when I really took it on as a serious uh seriously because before that of course I was taking photographs with my father's camera but that I didn't really consider that as much photography so was it always digital for you like what was your first camera my first camera was um actually a Canon um I forgot what it's called (laughs) it's um it it was one of these full manual uh cameras like the AE or 35 millimeter yeah something yeah it was um film cameras obviously and I started out with black and white developing film myself and when did you make the switch to digital pretty soon in the game already like pretty much um in 2008 that's that's when I actually really started combining basically both digital and analog photography 
and and I started going more and more towards um, towards digital. But I I'm actually still using film from time to time when I have a chance. So you're best known for your coverage of female fighters after the outbreak of Arab Spring and other gender-based identity migration issues. When was it that you discovered your subject matter, your voice? I, I started realizing that in order to basically survive in the photojournalistic environment, which I was really interested in at the beginning of my career, um, you really needed to be focused and to be focused and to be able to work on certain subjects without pay for a long time, you needed to really choose a subject that you can almost get obsessed with. I started thinking about how I could basically visualize things in in a honest but personal way. So this is how I started working on subjects that were closest to me, like migration. When I went um, later on to cover the aftermath of the Arab Spring, it was mainly to cover the other side of migration, the people who, who choose to stay and fight versus the ones who have to leave. Tell us a bit about your background. Basically, I um, my, my parents um, had to move away or basically they were refugees when I was a child. And I think that's a quite critical age to experience switches of cultures and surroundings and basically extreme switches, extreme changes in in your living com- conditions and in your social circumstances. I guess you get somehow influenced by childhood experiences and this was quite an intense one for me. Yeah, and I guess it was you had um, more of an understanding or you had a you had a personal view in the story. Yeah, definitely. I, I think I, when I am in certain situations, first of all, I don't have the discomfort that some um, other people might have. I I can almost say that I, I feel at home in certain situations. I, I don't feel like I'm an intruder. I don't feel um, misplaced. I don't feel sorry the way some 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 people do. It's quite um, interesting because I think a lot of people, or there's sometimes criticism, isn't there, around photojournalism and being um, an outsider and it being mm-hmm. uh, somebody else's perspective. But do you feel like you're photographing from like within the communities so you didn't feel that? I actually really don't feel like a voyeur at all. Um, and I, I really feel like, yeah, I, I think I, I feel more uncomfortable talking to you right now than I would be like in a situ- in an extreme situation talking to to um to to people in the field somehow. Like I, I um and I I don't really have this this barrier or mental struggle at all. That's interesting because you also didn't refer to you said your parents were refugees does that mean you don't consider yourself a refugee too well, I, I am but I consider myself more of a refugee child in the sense that I didn't actually choose or arrange the it's, it's quite a complex thing to do and I've been asking my parents a lot of questions about when did they decide um, because it is them that decided to to put everything in motion and as a child you just tag along and experience it but um so yeah I, I i would refer to myself as a refugee child rather than a refugee 
So your parents chose Belgium um, and to move and you chose to go and cover the people who stayed. Is that because that was where your line of thought was going? Is that because you had sort of unresolved thoughts or that's, is, was that because of your, your own views on something? Like where was that rooted from? Yeah, I think I was always wondering what it would have been like if we would have stayed and if we would have um, basically stand up for our own beliefs or for our own point of view and actually fight the system. I was just really curious how people do that. And uh, that's how I got in touch with a lot of uh, activists in Egypt and Tunisia and um, yeah and, and and had very interesting conversations about that. So what was that like for you? What was the journey like? Was there an emotional impact for you like because of your personal um, connection with the with the subject? Yeah I think everything I cover has an emotional impact. I, I don't think I can cover things where I have no emotions and in this case, it was actually a very uplifting experience, even though the stories are very harsh, very hard. And I was always telling people, yeah, I'm gonna, this, this is a very light story. I'm going to talk about, you know, uh, the activists and how they survived the, the revolution and, and uh, what, you know, what drives them. I, to me, it sounded like a very, very positive um because I, I wasn't I was no longer talk, talking about the helpless the the people who are stuck people in limbo and and this type of um subjects but this was an uplifting subject in, in at least that's how I perceived it but of course in reality they've been through a lot and definitely in the aftermath they were still dealing with a lot of unresolved issues I actually learn a lot from them and also in terms of how do you visualize something that has already passed? How do you, in that sense, it was a very big challenge. How do I yeah. visualize it? Because it's not happening. It's not spectacular. There's nothing exploding. There's, you know. What was the process there? Obviously a lot of portraits and things, but is that where the visual artistry came in? Yeah, I, I like the challenge of sort of being trying to visualize something after the whole coverage was gone, like after the media had left and after everything that could have happened on the streets was covered. And 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 then I was, I was like, okay, now that everyone left, what's over? What's left? And so I, I started actually talking to 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 people and portraying them. So I was I started out with the portraits. But at the same time, while I was talking to, to the activists, I started collecting their memories, places they've been to, and writing down a lot of those specific places and visiting them and photographing them, which was really also, which also visually told a lot of the story just by being in that street or seeing the murals that were there or certain squares that were that used to be occupied that were now empty and I, I felt like that was somehow a very interesting way to tell this the aftermath of, of, of such an event. Are there any stories that have really like uh, individual stories that have really stuck with you? Oh, there are so many stories it's it's so fascinating and it's it's always hard to pull out one particular one in lipstick and gas masks i i i um had a 
it, it took me a long time to find representatives of Muslim Brotherhood. They were really under threat at that moment and they had to sort of be, you know, they, they could be arrested at any time. And and secondly, because they they were less vocal in terms of European media and Western media in general. So it was it was it took me a long time to find uh, women who are uh, willing to talk to me. And uh, actually their stories touched me the most because I think in those countries, they are the ones who are under threat the most. And and it was when um, a massacre had happened in uh, Rabah and many had lost their lives. And and I was talking to someone who was actually there and had lost her fiance. So it was sort of like a love story, but very tragic. You say you found it quite hard to, to come back and adjust just wondering why that is like what it is about the adjustment that's hard is because I've heard some photojournalists talk about the guilt of the guilt of sort of coming away from a situation and just returning just to normal Mm -hmm. life and the fact that while they're not there giving a voice to those people they're not being heard yeah that well I think what's the, the thing that um, bothered me the most was when I couldn't really get a story to run. Um, some of my stories were not, um, I wasn't really thinking when I was, especially in the beginning, I wasn't really thinking about what would sell or what would be published. So I would just take subjects that were really close to me and which I found really important. And so some of my stories it took a couple of years before they were published or so-called relevant enough to be published. And that is really difficult because you do promise people that you will bring their story out and you will tell their story and, and you feel responsible for that. And uh, that definitely is something that would be that I started thinking about more afterwards that I should be able to know that I can actually get the story out. So is a lot of your work still the same as it personal projects that then you try to get published or do you work on assignment more well it's actually a, a combination um so i uh, i just finished an assignment that was on uh, that was for for actually very unusual perhaps for a fashion museum who they were really trying to do something out of the box and they were they wanted to create stories on textile but from a completely different point of view than what they had done before so they asked me to come up with a with an idea of how we could approach textile and connect it to certain cultures perhaps uh, certain religions perhaps and so we started out with with one piece of textile and then all kinds of stories would unfold and a lot of stories were shot in Lebanon where there's a lot of different ethnic um a lot of ethnicities for example the armenian community has their own way of knitting so you start out with that and then you tell the story of the grandmother and the migration and and the genocide in armenia but also the feasts so different kinds of aspects and stories of of uh, about life love migration uh, but also about resilience and resistance and you know, holding on to certain aspects of the culture protecting it from being lost. So it was a very, very interesting journey to have and it resulted in a book and uh, a few exhibitions also. So you would follow the, you would say like a document history of a certain fabric? Not really the history. It would really be um, very 
you know, I, I would, for example, walk into an atelier where they were making, uh, women were knitting together, um, where they're really trying to, for example, preserve a particular Syrian type of embroidery. And these women would be sitting there and working and we would talk to them and ask their stories and I would photograph them or I would walk with them outside or also photograph their surroundings, show where they are. And so you would you really get a taste of the place and, and the people, but you also get their stories at the same time. That's a dream commission, surely. Um, yes. But it's it was very interesting because some of the stories I, I ended up uh, filming because and that's what I love about the, the the cameras now that you could decide at the at, on at the spot you, that you want to do something in a different way um, and some things are just some stories are better told filming. How long have you been um, using video? Well, I guess I've I've been using video last couple of years, two, three years, maybe, sort of experimenting with it. What camera um, do you use? For the last video, I actually used um, uh, EOS R because it's a top shot. And uh, so I needed something that's light and really good quality. So you use the EOS R? For the whole commission, partially I used the US, uh, ESR and partially the 5D Mark IV. It really depends on where I am and what I'm photographing at that moment. Do you take a multitude of lenses, or are you kind of uh, stick to two or three type? Again, it depends on the subject and where I am. I have a few lenses that I always have with me. One of them is the 2470. Uh, from the L series, which is really a fast lens, and it, when you have when you're in a situation where you don't know how things are gonna go and how much time you're gonna have, it's really good to be able to change real quickly. You don't always get the time in what I do. You don't always get the time to change your lenses. So this is what I would use when I know that there might be a chance I can't change. I also use the forty millimeter pancake. Oh, and I don't want to be noticed too much. Like, for example, in places like Cairo, where you just kind of have to stay low key, then um, I use a I, I use a pancake lens, so you don't really get um, bothered as much. I also use a fifty millimeter L, the one point two, in low light situations, and I really like to use that for portrait as a portrait lens too. So, what's top of your list? What do you look for in a camera? Well, I guess I want it to be a sturdy, reliable camera that can handle high ISO, perform well in low light. Um, I also really like the, obviously, the the, the video option. And yep. um, what I also really like is the remote video option. So you can actually, I did this uh, top shop shot, for example, where you can't really hang over your camera, but you can basically see what you're doing on your phone. Oh, nice. Yeah. So you get to, to like hold it above something and use your, or do you actually like strap it somewhere? I do. Yeah, I did, I did <laughs> strap it somewhere. So it's like really, yeah. <laughs> I, I wanted to, it to be really uh, on an angle. So I, yeah, it needed to be hanging out there to get the full perspective. So yeah. <laughs> One thing that I also wanted to ask you was when it comes to balancing the artistic and the storytelling 
um, creatively, like how much pressure do you put on yourself? How much do you push yourself? And who are you inspired by creatively? I, I think it's important to push yourself because uh, that's I think that's the the tricky part about the camera. You really need to capture the moment and capture things while you're there. You can't go home and like redo it or change something the next day or um, especially not when when it's about photojournalism. And of course, a lot of that is intuitive, but it's also a lot of experience, I guess. Like practice, like everything else, you really need to be using your camera a lot and, and um, trying things. And to me, it's really important not to stick to one formula to keep challenging myself and try different things. And it's, it's always sort of an experiment at the same time, which makes it more exciting for me because if I already know exactly what I'm going to have, it doesn't make it that interesting for me. So how do you work in terms of then reviewing that and building your stories? Do you tend to go away and review everything and then return again? Or what's your creative process? If I have the time, then I really like to let it rest for a while so that you, you you create a bit of a distance from being in the situation and reviewing your photographs. But you don't always have the luxury of doing that. So when you say you leave it, how long? Um, not that long. I guess I, I would leave it a few days or a week. It depends on how intense it's been um, or how, how much time I've spent on the project. And sometimes it happens that I, I do my edit, I finish the work, and then I will look at it again a year later and discover something that I missed. I'm assuming you like the book format here, but <laughs> mm-hmm. is it because it does give you that time as well? So go. You can. Yes, it, it does give you the time to think about it, do the research, put it all together, put it aside, come back to it. Um, especially the project I'm working on now, I'm for the first time actually covering, uh, actually um, working on myself as a subject. So basically covering my own background and being able to return to my country of birth for the first time and uh, also revisiting my family and places that I that were sort of fading. And that's going to be in book form. Yes, yes, yes. I was going to ask you, do you ever see yourself returning to Tehran? That would be difficult. I think under current situ- current situation, it would be quite difficult. I think, I, I hope one day that, that that would be a possibility. So in terms of like your identity, you think if it was possible and in the future, that would you could see it happening? Yes, yes, I could. Your next book, about you is going to be a photo book and you're sort of constructing it now yes that's what I'm actually working on now so for me the situation is quite perfect to be able to focus on the book and um, and really I have so many images now that I have to go through and it's really wonderful to have the, uh, the opportunity to be able to spend time with the images and think about them and go through them with the designer and go back and forth it's not totally solitary anymore because you are sort of communicating with the designer yeah and I guess a publisher yeah eventually but we decided that we're first gonna do our own thing and then (laughs) show it to the publisher (laughs) well it gives you creative freedom doesn't it 
It does. I think otherwise you start basically censoring some things and changing your your original ideas. So and we're now very much on the same page. So it's not like we're um, restricting each other in any way. So I know um, it's quite far removed from what we've been talking about, but one of the things I always think um, people wonder or people who are trying to get into the business or try to do what you do wonder is how you make a business of it. You know, honestly, I'm, I'm going to have to disappoint you. On that. I'm, I'm really not so much of a business person. So for me, my ethics are really just do what you love to do. And, and um, eventually you'll get noticed because if you do it really well, I, that's, that's sort of my philosophy because I, maybe because I don't have a business brain as much, but um I just hope that if I just continue doing what I'm doing and, and I do it the best I can and uh, that that it will eventually reach the right people and um, get the attention that it needs. Okay, so you don't find yourself like having to, you know, change what you're doing, like do more commercial work, say, than you do personal projects. Well, I, I I I teach photography. I I teach uh, photojournalism, for example, um, so that I have some sort of a stable income. Um, so that 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 helps me. I I feel like that helps me. I I prefer to do that than to do commercial assignments. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's very very personal. I think that depends really on um, the photographer. For me. It's very confusing to, be, to to use my medium to do something that I don't feel very close to. I know we're running out of time here, but I'm going to just quickly <laughs> ask you about the Young People Pro- Canon Young People Program because mm-hmm. um, obviously that with you in your teaching capacity, um, working with um, young people in different situations. So I think there's been two programs. Can you, t- can you tell me a bit about those? Yeah, so uh, we did... Well, actually, the the young people people's program in 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 Belgium was uh, it, it was a core, very motivated uh, group of young people who were um, uh, addressing um, sexual harassment within the city of Brussels, and they they were an amazing um, bunch of young people, and and basically. I only had the privilege to be able to guide them a little bit and and support them in their photography, and they did everything else. Um, it's you you should sort of um, look into the work that they've done. They made it to the EU, and they really were able to present their uh, concerns. And um, so so they that was a really wonderful project to be able to be part of. Um, the other project was in a school in Iraq, um, a, a girls' school, and um, that was a pretty special project as well. We were we were allowed to go into Anbar province, which is recently um, liberated from ISIS, and uh, it was a school that was being rebuilt, uh, a, a girls' school that was being rebuilt, and it was and. Um, so they were very, very excited and they got um, cameras and we were basically photographing for about five days and um, the results were shown in Fisa pour l'image, which was quite exciting. Um, so this is really about 
giving them the tools to tell their own stories, was it? Yes, absolutely. I think the most interesting part of the project was that you give the tools to the people who are actually experiencing it and you're having them show their world. And and I think that is a, a very, very important step. So in the lessons that you were sort of giving them, what was the nature of it? I think the technology has become more and more um, accessible. So it's it's really more about how to tell the story and how to have them uh, photograph their environment um, without having to to take pretty pretty pictures, but really to show what they're tr- what, what they see and what they're interested in. And so yeah, it was it was more more looking at. Um, going out there, photographing, coming back with images and then talking about them. Why did you take, they, they also gave presentations and, and talked about their photographs and they got feedback from the group but, and they got feedback from me and, and they went out again and photographed again. So it was sort of a back and forth and trying to yeah, build a story. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much for taking the time. Thanks, Emma. Thank you for your time. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of Shutter Stories, you can rate and subscribe in the episode's listing. To find more stories and to find us on social, you can click on the links in the episode's description.